guys. Welcome to Open a Fucking Book, the All the Horror Edition. I'm Kevin. I'm Stephanie. And, uh, well, this is our episode for the All the Horror October... I don't want to say Oktoberfest because then we're thinking of Germans with beers. Um, a pot, horror podcast a day, every day, through the month of October, that for the All the Horror on Twitter uh, it, and the Scares That Care charity to uh help families in need and this is our contribution yes and that entrance music constantly made me want to keep looking over my shoulder it was very (laughs) suspenseful i know i liked it i did too so usually we cover an author when we do an author series or on our weekday cliff notes we'll cover just a bunch of books that are coming out but since it's a special episode, I thought we'd do uh, something a little different. So, Stephanie, when you think of Halloween, you think of uh, dark and evil. I mean, that's the that's the the general, the occult, and everything. That's the general uh, consensus. Consensus. Yes, that's the general consensus of Halloween. Is it's it's the the holiday. For the more the evil, the dark side of everything. And what is the most evil thing in the universe, if you believe that sort of thing? In the entire universe, what is the most evil thing? Lucifer. The devil. And since this is a book and author podcast, only makes sense for our All the Horror special Halloween special episode, we cover a book. That was supposedly written by the most evil thing in the universe. Now, this book has existed for almost eight centuries, has quite possibly the most nefarious and definitely one of the most interesting origin stories, even if it is just a story. So if you ever wanted to know what you would get if a Dark Ages monk were put to the test of recording all of human history in just one evening... Or be walled up alive like Fortunato in the cask of Amontillado? Well, you would end up with the Codex Gygas. Otherwise known as the Devil's Bible. Now, our reference for today's special include blog nationalgeographic.org, atlasobscura.com, ancientorigins.net, and Serialbox. Com. I had to go through a bunch of them because there's a bunch of different, uh, it's all circled around the same type of story, but there's different theories and of, of how everything went down and uh, explaining to you exactly why people think the things that they do, that they think. And we're going to get into as much of that as possible over the next however long this takes to do. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Codex, Codex Gygax? I've heard of it, like in movies and shit. Yeah. But I, I just want to bring up one thing. I brought it up to you, but I, I, I thought maybe our listeners would find this interesting. So I'm in a lot of book groups on Facebook, and a lot of them keep popping up with the same question. What do you think is the spookiest book to read or that you've ever read, especially around Halloween? And I've answered several of them with the same answer. The Bible. Yeah, the Bible itself can be pretty terrifying if you really read it. It's yeah. the scariest book ever. Okay. Well, this one is 
not so much the scariest book ever, but there's uh there's a little bit of evil in it, and there's some. Um, is this a real book? It's a real book. You can actually go visit it today. Well, we can't because you'd have to go to over overseas. But you, if you live there, you can go visit it today. It is a real book. The story around it is the question. It's like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Those are real books. The story goes around Homer. So that's what we're going to get into. Okay. Okay. Now, the Codex Gygas literally translates to giant book. It is named this for a reason. This book is fucking huge. I mean, fucking huge. It's so large that it took more than 160 animal skins to make it. It's encased in wood with metal decorations, making it so heavy that two people are needed to lift it. It measures 36 inches tall, 20 inches wide, and almost nine inches thick. It weighs 165 pounds. Damn. It is a massive fucking... But if you see pictures of this thing, it's like, okay, it's big. And then you see, if you see the picture, there's a few pictures of people reading it. The people next to it look tiny. It is a gigantic book. You can just imagine what it looks like when it is open. Now, the story behind the making of the Codex Gygas is what makes this story so interesting. Uh, the story goes that in the 1200s, there was a monk, sometimes named Herman the Recluse. He was sentenced to death by being walled up alive for breaking his monostatic vows. There's nothing out there. As a last gasp for survival, he made a deal that he would create a book filled with the world's knowledge in return for his life. His proposal was accepted, but his freedom from death would only be granted if the monk managed to complete the monumental manuscript in one night. Now, can you imagine doing that? Writing all of recorded history in one night. That, well, oof, that would take a lot of coffee. Now, he, he broke his monostatic vows. Monist, monistic vows, I'm sorry. Monistic vows. What vows do you think he broke? The no talking? I can't see them putting him to death for that. Maybe cut out his tongue. No sex? Maybe he went out and got laid. And then uh, they found out about it. and uh, Everything I looked at, you could not find anywhere what vows he actually broke. It's just he broke a vow, or broke vows, and he was going to be punished to death for it. Maybe it was multiple vows. That's a possibility. Maybe he was talking during sex. Or maybe he raped someone. I don't know. So again, it doesn't say anywhere. That was the part I was most interested in after reading this. Is like, well, what did he fucking do? Come on, man. You're leaving me hanging. What did he fucking do? Now, I've seen some texts say that he was given a year. And by the time the year was almost up, he realized he wouldn't be able to finish. But whichever story is, uh, you know, the true story, is once the monk knew he was in over his head, he decided to ask for some intervention. But not the divine kind. He decided to ask help 
from Satan himself, of course, in, for, uh, in return for his soul, because that's the, that's the going rate for things with the devil, is your soul. I mean, if you're a monk, you already gave your soul to Christ. But if you break your vow, you can, you can break your vow and, and quit the monastery. But I'm, unless that's the vow he broke. It's a possibility. Again, it's a possibility. In any sense, Satan agreed, as he does. Anytime he can get somebody's soul, he's usually going to agree to it. The Codex Gygas came to be. Now, this is more than likely just religious propaganda or a tall tale of sorts, but there are some curious facts that go along with the supposed writing of the book. Some some facts that you're going to look at and you're going to think, well, like, I don't, again, I don't believe in any of that stuff. I don't, but some of the things that they point out in this is kind of questionable. Now, even if the whole entire book written in one night story is bunk, it still looks like the book was written in a very short period of time. The handwritten scribing is virtually perfect all the way through and shows no signs of changing authors or tiring, or aging hands. You're scribing then, there's no whiteout, there's no delete. If you're writing something, I mean, and this is this is like calligraphy writing, not just, you know, jotting something down. If you fuck up, that page is gone, and you have to start from scratch on that page. And if you wrote something on the back of it, you have to do that side too. And there is no evidence of any mistakes through this animal hide yeah through this entire book no mistakes and that goes along with all the pictures that are drawn all the um embroidering or or not embroidering but like the the edging that they that they do no mistakes this is pretty much a perfectly written out book so that's going to add time obviously, if you're fixing any mistakes. So look at your handwriting now and look at your handwriting from 5, 10, 20, if you can, 30, if you can, years ago. It's probably different. Most people don't write the exact same way now as they did a long time ago. Also, try to imitate someone else's handwriting. Well, I mean... I used to be able to forge my egg donor's signature. Okay, you could write your your mother's signature, but if she was writing out a letter and stopped halfway through, could you finish that letter exactly in her handwriting perfectly to where a handwriting expert couldn't tell the difference? No. That's the point. Now, you might be able to keep it up for a while and make it look similar, but usually some pretty big discrepancies. Not in the Codex Gygas. It's virtually perfect, like I said earlier. Now, why do I mention this? Well, writing experts and histori- historians have concluded that if the scribe, person who scribed it, worked for six hours a day and wrote six days a week, the manuscript could have taken about Five years to complete. Not horrible. 
Maybe a little changes in the writing, but probably not a ton. But if the scribe was a monk, he may have only been able to work for about three hours a day because of, you know, all the other Chores shit. Yeah, all the other shit they got to do through the day. And chanting and so on and so forth. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And this means that the manuscript could have taken 10 years to write. Probably some major changes in the handwriting. Now, as a scribe may have also had to rule the lines to guide the writing before he began to write, probably took several hours to rule one leaf, you know, getting it so everything's perfectly straight. Because again, everything in it is pretty much perfect. This extends the period it took to complete the manuscript. Now, the scribe also decorated the manuscript. So this, so this all means that the manuscript probably took at least 20 or me- as many as 30 years to write. Hmm. And again, 30 years without the handwriting changing. It, the, the, the hand didn't age. The writing didn't age. The writing at the beginning doesn't look older than the writing at the end. And if you're writing that much that constantly, you're going to develop carpal tunnel. I know. Yeah, and and your your hands are just going to get tired and you're going to get sloppy. Not in the devil's Bible. though. Again, from beginning to end, it's virtually perfect. Now, what is contained inside the largest medieval manuscript ever? Well, originally, the Devil's Bible was comprised of 320 volume, pa- volume pages, front and back, so about 640 pages, created with the skin of 160 donkeys, but at some point in its history, 10 pages were removed. It is believed that those pages were the rule of St. Benedict, a guide to living the monastic life in the 6th century. However, there are theories that point to more nefarious reasons. Uh, One theory was that the missing pages held information that was deemed too dangerous for regular men to read. Uh, Others claim that the pages were stolen to be used for some evil purpose, something of the occult. Satanism? Still, others claim that the pages were dedicated to Satan and were found offensive by the monks, and they were subsequently removed. One theory even goes as far as to say the missing pages contained a missing book of the Bible, the Book of Lucifer. Hmm. Regardless of why or how those pages came up missing, their absence only adds another layer to the story. A whole... And it's the handwriting thing you really got to go back to of, of it's impossible for some for one person to write out this whole thing by themselves perfectly without it changing at all. And that's how the whole, well, had to be done in one night. And only one, well, one of two could have created it in one night, and he didn't ask God. Came from the devil. Now, what it, it does contain is a complete Vulgate Latin translation of the Bible, as well as five other major texts. It begins with the Old Testament and continues with the Antiquities of the Jews by Flavius Joseph, uh, 1st century AD, uh, Encyclopedia Entomology by Isidore 
of Seville, 6th century AD, a collection of medical works of Hippocrates, uh, Theophilus, and others, the New Testament, and the Chronicles of Bohemia by Cosmas of Prague, 1050 AD, the first history of Bohemia. Obviously. Now, smaller texts are also included in the manuscript, but the most famous ones, including writings on exorcism, magic formulas, and a calendar with a list of saints and Bohemian people of interest and the days on which they were honored. There's also illustrations and decorations found throughout the Codex Gygas. Many of the drawings are impressive, but the most famous are the full-page drawings of the devil and the heavenly city, which are facing each other. For the final war, I'm uh, guessing. Well, the illustration is an apparent thank you to Old Scratch for finishing the book for him. The devil is depicted as a large, monstrous figure taking up in the entirety of hell. He is drawn with large claws at the tips of his outstretched arms, red-tipped horns, small red eyes, a green head, and two long red tongues. He's shown crouching between two large towers and is wearing an ermine loincloth. This material was usually used by royalty is to, be, uh, to be a nod to the devil as the prince of darkness. I mean, he once was the head he was angel. The, well, he was the most beautiful angel, and he was the leader of the heaven's uh, choir. Yes. So he did have some sort of royalty in heaven, too. I suppose. Now, even though portraits of the devil were a common occurrence in medieval art, his depiction in the Codex Gygas stands out for presenting him all alone on a large page. It was usually depictions of the devil. He was He's in hell, a bunch of demons or burning people around him. This is just him conquering hell all on his own. Now, across from the devil is a full-page representation of the heavenly city. It's shown in tiers of buildings and towers behind red walls. Towers also project from the walls, and the heavenly city is bordered with two large towers, like the devil portrait. Now, this image probably was meant to inspire the idea of hope and salvation and contrast with the evil nature of the devil. Taken together, the portrait and the city probably were meant to be a reflection on what would await you if you lived a good life or a bad life. The text before the heavenly city refers to penance, and the text after the devil is about exorcism. Hmm. The devil and the heavenly city are the only illustrations occupying full pages in the Codex Gygas. So when this book is closed, the devil and the heavenly city are literally pushed up against each other. You wouldn't think that a monk would would want the devil and the heavenly city touching one another, but if he didn't write it. That's done on purpose for design. It's like the heavenly war when, as foretold by Revelations, when... 
Satan tries to take over heaven. Now let's get into kind of the history of it. Okay. Now, that, the real history that we know. Get away from the myth for just a second. The Codex Gygas originated in Bohemia, a fact which has, which has been ver- verified by many names included in the text and most importantly by the inclusion of the works of Cosmos of Prague. Uh, the names that are actually in the book kind of prove where it came from. Now, the dates of the manuscript range all the way from 1204 to 1230 AD. Using a system of correlating data found within the pages of the codex, which re- with real world facts, birth and death dates of religious figures, kings, and other important people were used as part prayers and divine worship. Now, despite some variability in the historical record, this type of analysis is fairly accurate. So we do have a good idea within a 20-so-odd year uh, span of time to when it was created. Now, a note written on the first page of the Codex puts the Benedictians of Padazis, again, I'm horrible with these words, monks near Chertum as the original owners. In later years, the Codex was transferred to the Sisteritians of Sedelic for an undisclosed amount of money to rescue the monetary from financial ruin. Uh, This kind of goes along with the whole book is cursed thing. They have the book. It's only been around for a few years, and all of a sudden, they're out of money. Things probably don't have anything to do with one another, but it's, it's something that will follow it as it goes along, this uh, myth of a curse. Now, in 1295 or 1296, the Codex Gygas was recovered by the Benedictians by the abbot of the Brivnov Monastery at the insistence of Bishop Gregory of Prague. The historical records revealed that the manuscript even then was considered as one of the wonders of the world. Now, not much information exists from the time the Codex was recovered until the Hussite War in 1420 forced the monks of Brivnov to leave their monastery and relocate in Brumov. I don't know. Written evidence details the book being in Brumov in 1477. During the 16th century, church leaders from Prague and Silesia enter, entered their names in the manuscript when visiting the monastery, something which seems almost a crime today considering the value of the text. People were, you know, signing it as they, as they were using it as a guest book. Oh, those fuckers. Now, a search of the many signatures shown in the, co- in the Codex remained in place for an extended period of time until Rudolph II, King of Bohemia, and Holy Roman Emperor became interested in the Devil's Bible and wanted to borrow it. It was dispatched to Prague on the 4th of March, 1594, under the supervision of the current abbot. Once in Prague, the Codex Gygas was methodically analyzed and transcribed for the Emperor. Rudolf never allowed the Devil's Bible to be sent back to Brumov. This, apparently, was not the only monastic property that Rudolf borrowed and never returned. Instead, the manuscript was registered in several catalogs of Rudolf's Chamber of Treasures and Art, and that is where it will stay until the Swedish Siege of Prague at the end of the Thirty Years' War 
1648. Swedes stormed Prague and scooped up the assortment of valuable books, including the Devil's Bible. At the time, Queen Christina of Sweden had a habit of stealing books from other nations as war booty and using them to enhance their own country's libraries. Poland, Germany, Baltic states, and Denmark were among the places whose bookshelves she ransacked in the name of knowledge. I want some war booty. After being snatched from Prague and shipped back to Sweden, the Codex Gygas was kept at the Royal Castle in Stockholm, where fire tore through the castle in 1697. So again, there's that curse that keeps following. It's taken, uh, it, the, the Holy Roman Emperor comes and steals it, pretty much. And then 30 Years' War comes along and they steal it again. And now the castle it's sitting in is on fire. How could a book be bad luck? Well, the devil apparently wrote. Now, when fire tore through the castle in 1697, the Codex Gygas was thrown out of a window to prevent it from being engulfed in flames. Though damaged by the four-story drop, it survived. However, one person standing beneath the window was said to have been badly injured and had to be hospitalized. But you got a 165-pound piece of leather flying at you. That's probably what's going to happen. You're going to go to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky to have survived. Right. Now, the Codex Gygas was rebound in 1819, and its damaged leaves repaired, the exception of the 10 that have been missing. The restored manuscript is currently on view at the National Library of Sweden in Stockholm as part of the library's treasure exhibit. Stories and legends say that the Codex Gygax was cursed and brought disaster or illness on whoever possessed it during its history. Fortunately, the National Library appears immune to the curse of the Codex. Nothing wrong has happened there. But you can still go to the uh, exhibit in Sweden and see it for yourself. Let's go to Sweden. Eventually, we I'm sure we will make it that way when we're old and gray and don't have anything else to spend our money on. It's been around for centuries. I'm pretty sure it'll be around for a few more decades. Yeah, until it brings bad luck to Sweden. Maybe it'll bring bad luck to us. Who knows? Sweden's been doing okay. Bring it to America. Fuck. <laughs> I don't, we don't need any more bad luck. No, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it'll change our bad luck it to good luck. It doesn't want to come here. The book doesn't want to come here because it doesn't want to have bad luck from America. <laughs> it's like, let's take this thing to America. The book's like, fuck you. Have you seen that place? You know what's going on over there? Things on fire. Murder hornets are coming back. Fuck. Nope. I ain't going anywhere. I'll just stay in Sweden. I'll be cool. I'll be cool. Yeah. So that's, so that's the story of the Codex Gygas. Uh, it's, it's not a ton on it, but I thought it was interesting because apparently... The devil himself wrote it. I personally don't believe that, but there are people out there that do believe that. I mean, you never know. I do have a pretty good idea. You know nothing. Okay. They're pig newtons. (laughs) Okay. Now, okay, okay, I know you that you already gave gave that other answer, but as far as books that you have read, what books have been 
you have found scary? Like like well, stuff that, or if you don't find them scary, what's something that you would recommend to somebody you think would scare somebody else? It's not necessarily that the book is scary. You have to put yourself in a in a situation to be prepared to be scary. Like when I read Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill, my friend's like, eh, it's kind of scary. But I was reading it. I was working late nights at uh, in an office and we were the only section of the place that was working uh, that late at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had the overhead lights that sometimes work, sometimes not. So they were flickering. Yeah. Um, we were the, you know, we had teams and we were the only team working. So there were only a few of us. Some people had gone off on break. I was reading. We weren't really getting any calls. So it was quiet and I was reading. When I read, I immerse myself into the book so it's like i'm in that world i'm aware well i'm letting our readers know that so i'm not paying attention to anything else around me didn't hear anybody come back from break or anything all of a sudden one of the older ladies that i work with sneezed and i almost pissed my pants because (laughs) i was so fucking scared because i was reading a scary part in the book and i just the What's the word I'm looking for? Um, ambiance. Yeah, the ambiance, yeah. the, the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, everything. Just sitting there with the book, you know, all of that around me. And then all of a sudden, a sneeze takes me out of that terror <laughs> I was in in the book. And that's what scared me. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to put yourself in that vulnerability while you're reading a scary book in order for it to truly be scary. Well, and some would say that if a book is, if it's a, it's, if it's a good book, it shouldn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. It should engross you enough anyway to put yourself into it. You don't have to put yourself into the book. The book should draw you in. Well, yeah, it was drawing me in anyway, but the ambiance helped. Yeah. See, I didn't find that book scary really at all, but I don't find much scary. And then I've been desensitized because of the American media. <laughs> and then there was another one um that was really creepy. It's Stephen Stromp wrote it. It's In the Graveyard Antemortem. And I don't know that one. No, it was uh one I got it was a review book I had to review for my website when okay. I was doing review yeah, books. Your blog. Yeah. Um and it was it was really creepy and like I thought I had it picked out and then it just twisted and like gut wrenched me and freaked me out. And then there was that creepy book Faceless and Evil by John Thomas. Yeah. That gave me the heebie jeebies. Yeah. You had told me I never read it, you told me about it and it seemed really fucking creepy oh yeah because the the i had a thing floating in front of me oh i was like what the fuck are you looking at you because you're giving me the gvs <laughs> but the the fucking kill scenes in the books yeah. man oh fuck see not see that none of that really uh because i listen to horror stuff and read horror stuff and watch horror stuff all the time so nothing now really gets to me i'm desensitized to it only two books that really scared me ever were uh, Frankenstein, when I read it as a little kid, uh, it was it was this weird edition where they took out all the like flowery language and put in just regular English so people could, you know, understand it. Because if you've ever sat down to read 
Frankenstein. Uh, it's got a if it it's got a lot of weird verbiage in it, and I can and little kids aren't really going to understand half of what's going on. So it was kind of dumbed down for people, and that book scared the shit out of me when I was little. And a Goosebumps book called The Barking Ghost. Do you remember <laughs> that one? Vaguely, yeah. but I that, read every Goosebumps that was, book. That was one of those where I, I was like, I'm going to start reading. And I didn't have a lot of books at home. And I was, I was real young. I was like eight or nine or something like that. I was like, I'm going to start reading. And um, actually, I think that book came out in like 95. So I guess I... Now, I guess I would have been older. I would have been like 12 when it came out. Because I got it. It was brand new when I got it. And uh, I started reading it. I'd be in bed. I was like, I'm going to read a chapter a night. And I'd sit down and I'd read through a chapter. And it would leave, And he, he has this one of these things where he always wants to leave each chapter kind of on suspense. Obviously to draw you in to read the next chapter. And it worked because I'd go ahead and I'd be okay, well, I'll just read two chapters a night. Two chapters. And I'd start getting really freaked out. And that was before my horror days where I started watching a lot of horror movies and, and, and all that. So stuff scared me a little bit more back then. And, uh, yeah, that book, I mean, it wasn't like I was having dreams and pissing my pants or anything, but it, it was, it was creepy, you know, it was creepy to me. And, uh, and again, Frankenstein, um, I wouldn't suggest Frankenstein to anybody now if I wanted them to read something scary, but. But, you know, for a child, yeah. It's pretty Goosebumps scary. never really scared me as a kid because they always ha- tended to have a happy ending. But uh, there, I, I have it in my collection still. It's called The Pool by T.S. Rue. Yeah. Scared the shit out of me yeah. as a kid. Yeah, you told me about that one. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Stephanie, let's get to the socials. Okay. On the Twitter and Gram, we are at book. And I am at ECJBAT. I am at YoungETAM6 on Twitter, YoungETAM on Instagram. You can go to our Goodreads, goodreads.com slash book, And see all the stuff that... Uh, we still haven't updated. We still haven't updated. <laughs> Should I add the Codex Guycast to it? Because you can, you can download the PDF of it. And read and it? And read it. Ooh. Yeah. I haven't done that. But well, we need to read it before we, we put it on. I there. suppose we should. Well, we can put it down as want to read, if they have it on there, because they sometimes don't have books that. You can add a book to it though. Can't you, you have to scan it. You have to scan the um, code, and I don't think they have a code. The ISBN on a on that book. I don't know. We'll have to find out. Uh, email us book at gmail dot com. Come back. Uh, Monday for the end of our Bram Stoker series, our our holiday series, Halloween series. Now, I know Halloween, by the time this comes out, Halloween will be tomorrow. This comes out on the 3rd. We're recording it earlier, but this comes out on the 3rd. Halloween. Tomorrow is Halloween. Tomorrow is also the last day of the all the horror Halloween uh, horror episode a day, every day in October. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to all the podcasts that have been contributing to it. I've listened to, well, up until today where we're recording it, I've listened to every episode. I plan on listening to the rest from the time we get done recording this to the day we, you know, to the last day of October. So, you know, crush fingers that I fulfill that. So I'd like to thank all the podcasts that have done amazing work throughout this month. 
So by the time this comes out, next day will be Halloween. Our Halloween series ends two days after Halloween. So that's my bad for scheduling everything. But, hey, nothing wrong with taking Halloween into November. Yes, some people are actually having their trick-or-treating. Some cities around us are doing their trick-or-treating in the first couple of days of November. Christmas can start in fucking September, Halloween can bleed into November for all I care. Just keep it going until Thanksgiving. Fuck your traditional holiday (laughs) dates. Uh, Go to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash open an effing book. All your donations go to help make this show the best it can be, quality and quantity. Uh, Rate review wherever you listen just anywhere you listen go down rate reviews tell us what you think again there should be one more show for the all the horror uh you can hashtag all the horror go all the horror18.wixsite.com slash event and you can get every episode for the entire month of october that we have put out and all the bonus episodes that have been put out again they've been great benefits uh, scares that care with all their merchandise sales so you can still go to the shop and buy a t-shirt your money goes to support pe- uh, families in need go to your local library buy a book from a local author at a local independent bookstore if you have the money it, it's really the best way to help independent authors out go to my wife's Etsy page Etsy.com slash shop slash Stephanie Young Art and buy some of her amazing soap. She has been selling some. She's super excited. She got a payday today and she's got a big smile on her face and she's happy about it. She's going to throw all of it down on the bed and roll around on it. But I said, no, we got to go record. You can do that later. So Some of it's in quarters. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Between now and the time we get to talk to you again, do yourself a favor. Go for the fucking bus. There you go. All right. See ya. Bye, guys. Nothing too sweaty.